and it's an issue for millennials in this time, they have invested a great deal of time and money into trying to achieve a particular direction quite often. You know, not everybody, but some people, people who've gone to college, and to then suddenly step away and do something different seems like a crazy thing to do, having made that investment. But what it sometimes does is it locks you into a chain of thought where you think, whatever I do has to contribute to this line of thinking about what I do as work. And I think sometimes you have to do things that are completely different because it will give you a different view on how the world is and how the world thinks. You have reached Escape the 9 to 5. Please leave a message after the tone. Hi there. I'm doing a boring day job and finding life sucks. Stuck in a 9 to 5 job and looking for something different? Escape the 9 to 5 is your guide to freedom. My name is Steve O'Ealy and my mission is to help you on your own career change journey. I chat with successful professionals who've either taken the leap themselves or have always done work differently. They share stories so that you can learn from their mistakes and benefit from their successes. Escape the 9 to 5 and join us on our journey to a more enjoyable life. So you're looking to leave your 9 to 5 job, right? You want to do something meaningful, but you're probably afraid. What if the thing I fall into fails? Or worse, I'm less happy there and in more debt than I am now. What happens? This week we're talking to Bernie Evans, an executive coach who started coaching before coaching was even a thing. He coaches CEOs and took the leap, just like you want to. He shares why you should do something different to help you with your career change by forcing you to think differently. He also shares why you've got to have a career fallback, that thing you know you could do if shit hit the fan, and whatever you try doesn't work out. Bernie also encourages his clients and you to create a personal vision. This will be your North Star, guiding you to your own ideal future livelihood. My name is Steve O'Ealy. I'm somebody just like you, on the journey to escape the 9 to 5. And I'm here because I know there are other people just like me who are stuck in the trap of well-paying jobs they don't enjoy. I'm going to share over 10 years of self-development experience and what I've learned on my own journey so far to help you escape the 9 to 5. Chances are you've already changed jobs multiple times. You've most likely stayed in roles within your professional field. Convinced a job change will make the difference. You're listening to this podcast because you're serious about escaping the 9 to 5. Whatever you've done in the past hasn't worked. You've got to do something different. We're going to discover how. I joined the conversation with Bernie detailing his coaching business. Well, I've been coaching now. This is my 20th year. And so over that time, I've seen a lot of changes in both what people desire in terms of their career and the way that work has developed over that period of time. And it's been, it's been quite uh, radical because... For many people, either within their own time or a historical memory, jobs were for life. And that went a long time ago. And now people don't just change their jobs, they change their careers. And so what I try to do in coaching is support them in thinking through because what we tend to do in our culture is to have a problem or something we're trying to deal with and look immediately for a solution. 
But the reality is the best place to start is making sure you're asking the right questions. And that's usually the bit people leave out. So I try and help them to ask the right questions. And in your mind, what are the right questions? In terms of my own practice, I'm bespoke. So I don't have a modular system that you take off the shelf and say, all right, this is coaching lesson one. This is coaching number two. This is coaching number three. It's tailored to the needs of the individual client because a lot of the clients I work with are uh, leading in organizations. So the challenges that they have, they will be specific to that individual and how they lead and what their belief systems are. And, and it's not only about when things go wrong, it's about things are going good. How can we keep this going and making it even better and think differently? And every organization has to think differently on an ongoing basis, not just in terms of finance or economics, but in terms of growth and change. You know, some people say, oh, we've seen countless CEOs and any number of business incentives over this period of time, and we don't want any change. And I say to that, well, tough, because change happens whether you like it or not. So it's better to engage with it. So you have some say in how that change takes place. And I think that boils down as well, not just for organizations, but to the individual. So, you know, what we're talking about today there's lots of resonance with that idea of embracing change and encouraging courage, which, of course, means in the French from the heart. So, you know, what the main motivator for change is on an individual basis, I think, is passion and a sense of something other for oneself, because it all starts with the self. With your work, are you mostly dealing at an individual personal coaching level or as an organisation when I set up, I decided I wanted to do primarily executive coaching and I wanted to try and get clients who were leading in organisations because my belief was if somebody approaches you from an organisation and wants to change, then whatever they do, if they're leading, will have an impact on that organisation and the people within it. Because years ago when I worked for an innovation company, I, I realised at some point that I wasn't really interested if there was another biscuit in the world. What I was more interested in was the creativity that people can have. And if they decide to make biscuits with it, well, that's fine. But to me, it was about behavior. So my work's primarily been about behavior. And that's how I think of it. It's about behavior and subsequently behavior change. So I think you and I probably have a lot to talk about. The reason I became interested in talking to Bernie is I wanted to understand how he convinces CEOs of big organizations to change the way they do things. Not because I care so much about these nine to five organizations he works with, but because changing behavior is hard. And it's one of the problems you are going to have as listener in your own journey out of the nine to five. This leads nicely into this week's quote by John Maynard Keynes. Difficulty lies not in the new ideas, but escaping from the old ones. I joined Bernie back explaining common challenges the people he works with face when making change. Different people have different challenges, but you do see some themes coming through. And I think, you know, one of them is that business buzzwords come through. I mean, one of the big ones for a long time has been authenticity. And I think in this times, it's still very solid. But it is an example of change. You know, for, for years and years, authenticity was high in all the, the leadership essays and all the talks and everything. And that's really about people being who they are. 
And sometimes people in charge of organizations who want to change find the difficulty in retaining the appearance of the leadership and balancing that out with being the person they are in a sense that a good leader can talk to the, the man or woman on the door and can go up the stairs and talk to a board. And they may have different tone and content, but both of those sets of individuals will recognize the person as being the same person. So there's a kind of authenticity. And that's a very powerful thing in leadership because people follow human beings. They don't follow algorithms and robots. Although I know lots of organizations that would like that to happen. Um, Lots of organizations would like to get rid of people altogether and just make it one big piece of software. But that's not the world I inhabit. But I think it's inevitable, you know, that in the world of change in workplace, you need less people. It's inevitable that that will happen because a lot of not just in industrial and manufacturing services have gone over to automation. I think in organizations, software provides that. But also, you know, sometimes it's about a leaner way of thinking and a recognition that you don't need big boards and meeting places. And I I think I was talking to somebody today and we were saying how they're building a big rail link in the UK. And we're saying, well, why why do you need a, a rail link now? Because what we've established is working from home is becoming the norm. So why relocate? (laughs) You can do everything you want. And that's a very globalized way of looking, you know, like you and I are talking together across the world. And that's because we can now. And, you know, I think big realization is that work isn't a place you go to, it's what you do. So going back to what you do with the executive coaching, Looking at someone, say a leader of a company who's in the Western way of thinking quite a successful person, being that they're in a leadership position and assumably on really good money, why should they change what they're doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling because uh, I'm thinking there's a, there's a saying by Chairman Mao, which says those most resistant to change are the ones that benefit most from the existing system. And that is a thing. But the thing is, even if you're leading an organisation, you may be a charismatic, individualized leader, but there are always plenty more people involved. And those people don't necessarily just think in a, in a singular way. They want to affect innovation. They want growth and they want continual change in a very positive way. So what's interesting is just to go back to how I do coaching is I don't have a high online profile. I'm not a social media person. All the work I've got has been through the work I've done. So I've largely got work through word of mouth. Uh, I've created a new human right, and that is to be unavailable unless I want to be available. And I I urge all of your people listening to uh, adopt that human right. It's a right to be unavailable. But what also I know is that because we live in an information-rich society, we're all not hidden anyway. So if people really want to find me, they will, like you did. To elaborate a little bit on something you should sort of discuss a little bit more because the um, average person listening to my show is the sort of person who probably spends a huge deal of time on their laptop or on their phone constantly engaged and talking personally. I know that I really enjoy the fact that I can message my friends quite easily from around the world and these are people that 20 years ago I would have lost touch with but thanks to Messenger and WhatsApp and and those sort of things you can sort of keep in touch with everybody. What do you sort of see as the downside to that? Well let me say first of all I am hugely for social media 
used in a positive way. I think it's a phenomenal thing. And I, I'm not saying instead of, I'm saying as well as, because there are times when you want that broad availability. And there are times when you're entitled to privacy. It's probably a, another and a longer conversation, but don't misunderstand that I'm, I'm not very pro-social media and the information and the connectivity it brings. I think it's been a wonderful change. And it literally has happened, as you say, over the last 20 years, whilst I've been coaching. I mean, just as like now in the situation, everybody got used to Zooming within a week. And that took in all of those who had resisted social media and were very philistine about it. So we can change very quickly. And I think when you and I talked before, you know, um, one of the key words at this time is that we can do things at an accelerated pace. Things that we said, oh, let's do that in 2025, we discover we can do within a month of things changing. So that gives me great hope about the adaptability and uh, ability to change amongst the population in general, but also, you know, is a good flag for us as individuals. There's two things that really hit home for me here. One is the idea that we have the right to remain unavailable. I honestly believe one of the key reasons our generation struggles to make change is any downtime is so easily occupied by distractions, namely Facebook and Instagram. While I will encourage you to be part of our Facebook group, Escape the 9 to 5 podcast, as there is a genuine goal you'll be working towards, I also recommend having times of the day where you don't go on social media at all. This probably means changing the settings on your phone to mean you cannot access apps at certain points in the day. Going on social media and seeing what our friends are up to feels like we're doing something, but really it's just a substitute for real action. I'm going to borrow a paragraph from Celeste Headley's book, Do Nothing. Perhaps the most damning piece of evidence in the debate over technology is the large number of tech workers who restrict their kids from using smartphones and tablets. Steve Jobs famously did not allow his kids to use an iPad, saying that he and his wife limited the technology their kids used at home. Tech workers and software developers are partly responsible for the addictive nature of our devices, so it's no wonder they're concerned about the impact that tech has on their families. This should all make us pause when we consider how much we use smartphones and tablets. Would you eat a meal a chef wouldn't serve to his own family? The other important thing Bernie talked about is being adaptable, which is becoming more important than ever in our rapidly changing world. A whole generation of people had to get used to using Zoom overnight. Change will be a constant factor in your career, no matter what you do. I think one of the things is the degree to which you've invested in self and how hard that is to give up. Because one of the things about change is sometimes you have to take risks and do things completely differently. I would say in, in terms of information-rich society, it means we can find out about anything we want to, by and large. But as I said to you before, if I ever had a T-shirt made, it would say awareness is not enough. It's all very well to know about things, but what really matters is what you do. And that would be the biggest message uh, I would take from the last 20 years. What you say, what you think, what you feel, who you think you are are important, but they're not as important as what you do because that's what people remember you for. So it's important, I think, if you're considering a change to take a good look at life because, you know, 
I made a distinction years ago between jobs and work. The ideal situation is where your job and your work cross over so that you're getting paid for something that you love to do. But there are periods in time in life when you have to do a job, an economic necessity, your family, pay the rent, pay the bills. But you shouldn't see that as necessarily something that's getting in the way. You should see it for the moment that you're doing it. Like when I first set up my own business, I said to my wife, well, if it all goes wrong, I'll go cabbing. I'll run a taxi. But the thing is, I know I never will have to drive a taxi, but I could. (laughs) So nothing you do is diminishing. So when we start off in our career, sometimes we've maybe been to college, got a degree, and then we find we can't find work. That's not uncommon. And we do things to get by. And we shouldn't be diminished by that. We should see what we can take from that and what we can learn. Because I think one of the things you have to do is more than one thing. I'm a big fan of doing more than one thing. So if you're, say, doing the simplest of jobs, let's say working as a barista, you're in contact with people all the time. You learn about people. Anybody who's done that for a period of time will will have insights into human behavior. And that's a very transferable skill to take with you when you're trying to find the thing that you really want to do and the thing that you're really passionate about. And that's what I call your work, because what your work is, is your purpose. And what a purpose is above and beyond making money. Why do I do this? So when you're thinking about changing what it is you want to do, you have to think very carefully about what contribution you want to make in the world, what generosity you want to bring to it. Also, what what you want to achieve for yourself and be very honest about that. So if you want world peace, fine. Find a route to do that. And it may not be through a job or your work. It may be through a side thing, which is why you should always do more than one thing. You know, sometimes people say, you know, I've been thinking of doing a night class, but I can't decide what I want to do it in. And they think that night classes have to give them a feature that will encourage them and enable them to get a better job or a different job. That can happen. But as well as doing that, you should learn something like the violin. You know, you should learn opera. You should learn Italian because all of those give you very dissonant clues about the future. When I look back on all the work and all the jobs that I've done, it seems very random. And in the old days would have been seen as dilettante, do this for two years, do that for three years, step away for a year, so on and so on. Now that's much more the norm. And I think what you can do when you look back on that is you can see the thread And the thread I've always seen is whatever I've done right back from the beginning has always been about people. So I understand that better now. But I I kind of got that in the beginning, even though I couldn't articulate it. Because it's interesting. Steve sent me a number of questions, which I kind of looked at. Oh, my God, what am I going to say? And one of them was, what did you think in your 20s and early 30s? And I said to him, I didn't realize you could get old until you were 26 and had four more generations beneath you, of which language you didn't speak and who didn't care about you and saw you as the old guy in the room. Before that, I'd do anything to get by and enjoy myself, basically. And that's what you need to do sometimes. Going back to your comment about awareness is not enough and you sort of elaborate to say it matters what you do, I guess that could potentially be misinterpreted as, for example, if I go and do some charity work where I help kids out, it'll be seen to be a really good thing. But me personally, I might actually get really stressed out being amongst young kids. So in that situation, are you talking about what you do as in what you do that affects society or or what you do, isn't that how it affects you? 
if that's how you feel about kids, that should not be what you do. <laughs> what I'm talking about is that you, you know, I think this is the issue for many people is, and, and it's an issue for millennials in this time. They have invested a great deal of time and money into trying to achieve a particular direction quite often. You know, not everybody, but some people, people who've gone to college and to then suddenly step away and do something different seems like a crazy thing to do, having made that investment. But what it sometimes do is it locks you into a chain of thought where you think, whatever I do has to contribute to this line of thinking about what I do as work. And I think sometimes you have to do things that are completely different, like go to a class and learn about opera, because it will give you a different view on how the world is and how the world thinks. Now, I don't want that to sound lightweight, and I'm not in any way trying to suggest to people that the situation people find them, themselves in when they are trying to readjust and look for the work that, that will be something that's closer to what they want to do in life. But I think you have to do some creative, you have to create some stimulus to make you think differently. And the only way you get that is by stepping outside of your of your way of working to do something different. Like there are some organizations, for example, I've worked with, I mean, one had a financial institution over in the financial part of London, had a poet on their board for a year and they would sit in at board meetings. And that's not because they knew anything about it. It was exactly because they didn't know anything about it. So they would ask the obvious questions like, why are you doing this? And everybody would so in their groove, they'd forgotten to ask that question. And I think some of that is the same for us. You know, sometimes we have to say, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, you know, I'm becoming a, an architect and, and so on and so on. Let me just check back. Why am I doing this in the first place? And if you discover that there's a great deal of love of structure and shape of buildings and you see it as beauty and so on, then you have your answer. What's important is to make sure you're asking the right questions. And I'd say that's something that goes through with all the clients that I've worked with. Let's make sure we're asking the right questions because if you're not, you're wasting a lot of time and quite often in organisations you're wasting a lot of money because you're going down a road which is not the road you need to be going to. So it's worthwhile investing in stepping back and reflecting on some of the things you thought were steadfast and that you always believed was the only way forward and questioning them and saying, is that true? And if it is, brilliant. And if it's not, so what is true for me now? A really good example of sort of you doing something that's not typically the the standard, go to university, get a degree, get a standard job, is your work. And while most people would be aware that there are executive coaches, it's one of those professions that, by the sounds of it, people seem to just fall into. So when you were going down the line of executive coaching, it does sound like you made an active decision to go down that line. And I think for a lot of people, they would think, oh, there is such thing as an executive coach and I really do like leadership and I like talking to people, but there's no way I'll be able to do that. Even 20 years ago, people who were coaches, it was a bit of an outcast profession. People didn't really see a need for it. In organisations now, almost every leader or organisation will in there have some coach and even, you know, like I was an executive coach at the BBC, for example, and they had an executive coach hub within the organization, um, they had their own grown home coaches. 
my belief is sometimes you need people from outside the organization to ask the difficult questions because sometimes if you're part of the organization you're part of and and inhibited sometimes by the politics and i think one of the things i was saying before about authenticity is honesty and being straightforward you have to ask sometimes the questions that nobody wants you to ask so 20 years ago when coaching happened people thought oh yeah this sounds good i'll go for a weekend course and then when i come back i'll start coaching uh, I'll start a business, you know. Um, there used to be a, a joke I used to say to people, what do you want? What else? What next? Okay, they're the three questions. Go start a coaching practice, you know. <laughs> but actually, it's a bit more than that because lots of people wanted to get into it. Lots of people who were looking for career change wanted to get into it. But not everybody, it's a bit like not everybody is a doctor. Not everybody is a, a carpenter. Not everybody can do it. Even they want to, and they're wonderful people, and they're passionate about it. Not everybody does it. And so what was happening, lots of people were doing weekend courses and coaching. A lot of businesses were setting up running coaching courses. But what happens is, after a while, first of all, you've got to get your clients, and then your clients have to see something change. And if they don't, they don't use you because it's a business contract. You pay people for coaching. So it dropped away again. And then it started to gain again because some of the longer term coaches started to make big differences in organizations. And then it kind of went through a fashionable stage where leaders said, oh, I have to have a coach. Everybody's got a coach. So that was very good <laughs> for me. But then in the end, you know, I've been going 20 years and I'd like to think I've, I've done that only through word of mouth, not through advertising, not through kind of social media, simply because the work that I've done has enabled to do things better than they were doing before and I, I try to say that with humility i hope that's been the outcome the theme for this week's episode is do something different bernie mentions trying violin learning italian or doing opera he doesn't mean specifically doing those things i think what he means is doing something completely different to your field of specialty even if it puts you out of your comfort zone if you're in an office job in the day and play a lot of sport in your own time, I don't think necessarily learning a new sport is going to be much benefit. You've got to consider something completely different. Consider an arts class or learning a new language or anything that's going to force your brain to think differently. Remember, it doesn't have to necessarily further your career directly. It's just helping you see things from a different perspective which will in turn help you on your career change journey. In the lead up to the conversation with Bernie, he talked about helping his clients access their personal vision in order for them and you to be enabled to make change in your own lives. You know, a vision is an interesting thing because there's a kind of structure to it and it isn't mine. I mean, one of the things about anybody should be a willingness to steal whatever comes your way, you know, uh, if it's going to help you and help you move along. So this isn't my original, but the structure I use is about a vision having four parts. The first part is purpose, why you do what you do above and beyond making money. Then it has values and everybody has values and they're sets of beliefs that guide your behavior. Because what's really important is how you be in what you do. You know, sometimes when people in leadership in organizations come to me, uh, they think it's about uh, restructuring the company or thinking differently creatively about change. But sometimes it's about changing them because they're not a good leader and they get on people's nerves. 
So, and they understand that, or they've been told actually, you know, we can't talk to you or you're a bully or whatever. Sometimes that's a motivator because they never realize, but you know, that, that's something else. And um, so there's a purpose of values, a set of goals. You know, you have to have some sense of what your desired outcome is, which is why you need to think about what your vision is for the future. And it's not an easy thing, but it's something worthy of reflection and time and taking time to do. Coaching is about two things. It's about performance and fulfillment, that you're doing the best work that you can do. And in that process are happy. And that should be what we strive for. So you, you've got to have some goals and they have to be goals that stretch you, not simply goals that you can do because there's no point in that. You know, you've got to have goals that make you go that extra mile. So you can do them, but it's going to be hard. So when you're thinking of change, for example, you know you can do this job, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be, you know, it's going to demand more of me. So I have to pull on my own resources. And then there's a thing that's called an end vision, which is what is it I could become that I've not yet thought of? That's the territory I love working in in organizations because it's a bit like way I'm suggesting to you what I've not yet thought of. What's the route to that? Okay, I'll go snowboarding. And think about how snowboarding applies to team meetings in management. What are the things you need to do in snowboarding that you'd bring to leading a team? So on and so on. So you make connections that are apparently no connection. But what I've learned about the human brain is it's phenomenal at making connections. So if you take something completely random and try and apply that randomness to your challenge, then you'll start to make understandings happen. So that they're, they're kind of things that you can work with. So basically, that's what a vision is to me. So when I'm talking within organizations, I sometimes say to them, well, what's your organizational vision? And I guarantee the highest percentage won't know. <laughs> they won't know what their organizational vision is. I mean, the, the one I always used to use was Disney's. Now, whatever you think of Disney, but Disney's organizational vision was to make people happy. It wasn't to be the best cartoon company in the world, because if it was, there would have been no Disneyland. So you've got to think broader and more creatively about what it is you want to do. So take, for example, somebody who's been at college for a period of time, and they come out and they're qualified and they start to do the work. And, you know, sometimes you have to give work a, a period of time to gain traction, to begin to understand it. But with the best will in the world, they know in their heart it's not working for them. So it's a big jump to say, I'm stepping outside of this and I'm going to do something completely different. And you don't necessarily have to do that. Great if you've got the courage to do that and you've got a sense of where you want to go. And sometimes people say, I have no idea what I'm going to do, but I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but what's better is to begin to diversify and start not to diversify about the things you know, but diversify about the things you don't know. So I don't know anything about drag racing, all right? I'm going to go and do a workshop on drag racing so that you pull yourself into a different world with different rules to give you a taste and a sense of what that's like. Now, it's not to become a drag racer and make your money at doing that. It's to think differently. So are you saying it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you're overly passionate about? It just has to be something completely different just to change your thinking? I think that's one strategy. If it's something you're really passionate about, then the likelihood is you already know quite a lot about it. So then to say, right, I'm really passionate about this. How could I convert this into something that would be my work 
and how could I convert this into something that would be a job? How can I monetize this? How can I make this something that will make me get up in the morning and fuel me to do something else? So when I'm suggesting these things, again, I must stress, I'm not saying either one or the other. I'm saying this and this and this. So you'd say, right, I know nothing about opera. I'm going to go to a class about opera. One is you never know who you'll meet. Two, there may be something about opera that really fires you because if you love music, for example, you might discover something new about that. Also, you may understand the history, maybe an individual who's involved with opera, maybe a composer. I know nothing about opera, by the way, but a composer who had an interesting life. How did they get to be a composer when they started off as a tool mechanic? And that might lead you down a path, and it might not. It might say, you know what, I hate opera. Now you know, put that aside. What else can I do? Because it's important, I think, all your life to learn. Never give up learning and look for ways that you can learn beyond the screen so that you can learn. You know, there's a guy I know had a very successful software company. And right, he made his money at it. So he didn't need to work anymore. But he stepped away. And what he started to do was make wooden fruit bowls. <laughs> you know, he turned them on a the lathe. They were absolutely beautiful. It was like the simplest of pleasures, but he always, for so long, had just wanted to do something with his hands. He always wanted to just connect with something, to do something that wasn't just all in his head. So one of the things I encourage people to do is to do something physical. If you get stuck, get out of the office and go running. Don't just go and get a coffee and have a cigarette or whatever. Do something physical. And I'm not saying, oh, go down the gym every night or so on. You know, I hear what you're saying, and I think it's really good advice because I think especially for people who maybe want a career change or, or they just they want to achieve in a certain area, it's easy to get stuck in this mindset that the only thing that you can do is more and more of that stuff in that direction. Just an example coming to my head is you've got a an actor and they are going to do more acting classes and, and speech and drama and um, singing and everything related that could be related to acting but actually potentially what you're saying is if they go and do something completely different they might go and work on a farm for a summer and then the next acting role that comes up they actually need to understand what it's like to be on a farm yeah yeah you, you, you've got to get creative i mean and, and you can do it not necessarily to escape work you can do it to get better at the work you do so say for example you're leading a team and you're very shy about presentations Quite often what people do is they look in the like business directory on people who do presentation training. And what I'd say is go and do a drama class. Go and do that. Step away from the route that would keep you in the same groove and the same thinking and step away and do something different. And I'm a big believer in doing something. You know, what happens when people do night classes? They say, I've been looking through and I can't quite decide which one I want to do. And you know what? It really doesn't matter. What matters is that you begin and you engage, and then you find out whether you like it or not. And if you don't, you say, well, it isn't this, so it might be that, and you go and find something else. So if you, if you say, went down our opera route, God knows why I'm talking about opera, <laughs> but, um, beautiful as it is. Um, but like you'd say, well, you know, I'm doing opera. Why don't I go and learn a language like Italian so I know what these guys are talking about? Because one of the great understandings I have about opera is they're very rude and they're very rustic. You know, when people are talking, they say, no, you know, all kinds of things. It only sounds classy because it's been made to sound classy. Anyway, let's pull out the opera. I'm exhausted. But you see what I mean? 
I'm somebody in an organization. I want to look how, how teams work. I go and look at an opera. I see how everybody works together on stage and how they communicate. I see somebody's written something about human behavior. They've written a story. I don't quite understand it, so I'll go and learn Italian. Maybe that will take me down a stream. I don't know, but that's what I'm going to do. So this is a thing about diversity and multi-learning. Look for opportunities to do that. And don't always look with the idea of, if I do this, this will help me to get a job. Go with the idea. I'll go and look at this and see if it gives me some inspiration or some clues about where I should be looking to go. I hope you get the idea here. If you're currently Googling where to sign up for opera, you've probably missed the point. Not everything you do in life has to directly lead towards your goal. If you've got a side hobby fixing guitars and you want to turn that into a paid gig, signing up to a drama class might seem like the most pointless exercise at the time, but the vocal skills you'll learn might come in handy when you're promoting your business on social media. And who knows, you might make some friends along the way and even meet someone who will help your career in some unexpected way. One of your classmates might know someone who specializes in helping small businesses grow online. I join the conversation back with Bernie giving three tips to you, the listener, on your own journey out of the nine to five. I think some of it is about how you are in yourself. Let me give you a little sort of three-legged stool. And it's about values. And each of those legs is this. You need humanity. You need clarity. And you need courage. You need to see what you need to do. You need to have the humanity to see it well and how it impacts and affects people, including yourself. And you need to have the courage to make the jump to wherever you need to go when the time comes. You know, I don't believe in fate. I believe in the moment because I think what we have to do is cultivate a spirit where we're available and accessible to everything in the world that might be useful. So like somebody says, I was just walking along one day and this guy came up and he said, have you ever done any of this? And I said, no, but I've done some of this. And, and they say, oh, right, because I've got a role uh, in my organization uh, that's looking for somebody like this and so on and so on. And they say, that's fate. It's not. It's just because you were there and available and accessible to the idea because you could have said, "Nah, I'm not interested, mate. So you have to keep your options open. That's that's one of the things. I know it's a bouncer, but awareness is not enough is really important. It's not about knowing, it's about knowing, fantastic, but doing something, do something. And the third one is, even over a long period of time that I've been sort of doing coaching, and before that, many people I know went to university, for example, and did a degree about which they never did anything else. Like I went to art college, right, many, many years ago, and I was lucky because at that time you got paid to go to college. You got a grant. <laughs> Amazing, you know, and I, I really feel for people that it isn't like that. And it's radically wrong. It isn't like that. But there was no expectation at the end of it that I'd get a job being a painter. But it set in process a way of thinking about how I wanted to be in the world. And if I was to look back, I'd try and think, well, the things I've done, I hope I've approached them like an artist. So how many people I know who went into teaching and after doing a teaching degree said, I'm never doing that again in my life. But the things that they learned during the teaching process helped to establish them in different worlds. And that's why when you look at leaders, you'll see the diversity of the things they've done and where they started. And quite often those beginnings were quite humble and quite 
worlds away from where they ended up. So wherever you are now, don't necessarily think this is where I'll be in 20 years, because as I said before, people don't just change jobs, they change careers. So feel free to do that. And don't think, hmm, now I'm in my late 20s, going into my 30s, I have to settle down and consolidate around one thing. Always be free. You talk about the, you know, being in the moment and kind of effectively being in the right place in the right time. The very reason that we're having this conversation is a combination of a TED talk I watched, which made me understand my strengths better, made me more interested in the concept of podcasting. Listening to another podcast gave me the opportunity to interview Kate Lands, who then passed on your details. And as a result, we're having a conversation. And if you told me a year ago that I would be having a video conversation with a executive coach from the UK a year ago, I wouldn't have believed you because I wouldn't have seen myself podcasting. And that's a perfect example, really, um, Steve, because you, you need to, you know, all the great innovations have done where all the data and all the advice said, no, nah, you shouldn't do that. And something inside that person has said, yeah, but, you know, I just got this feeling. So you have to be connected to yourself. And it's worth spending time working on yourself to make sure you have that connection because you're your biggest ally and you're your greatest resource. And so if you feel a pull towards something, it may not be the thing, but allow your passion to go there and find out rather than just being aware of it. Go and find out if it is the thing. And if it isn't, don't say, oh, I failed or I'll never find the thing. Say, it wasn't that. So what next? So this leads very well into our next question, which is how can coaching benefit people going through a change or they're not 100% sure what they want to do? How can coaching help them? If you wanted to boil it down, there's two styles of coaching. One's facilitative and one's directive. And it's good to get a balance between the two, depending on what the need is. But I found in working with leaders in organizations who are running organizations, they like directive leadership. They like directive coaching, which sort of says, why don't you do this? It's not a discussion about what you might do. It's not just asking questions about getting them to articulate it all the time. It's sometimes about saying, well, this could happen, this could happen, why don't you try that? And I'm not doing that because I'm a know-all or I know everything because I only know what that client or that leader tells me. It's a throwback to them of what they're talking about. So it's like a straightforwardness that says, you're talking about change in your organization. What kind of changes are you going to affect? What's the difference and what's going to be your legacy? Like in organizations, they give you feedback and leaders often do this and they tell you what you're not doing or that what you're doing is crap. A better way to do it is say, what are you doing that's good and what would make you even better? And that's a much more healthy way of approaching the world. And I think that's what you have to accomplish with yourself. It's not to say, oh, I get everything wrong. And, you know, when I try things, it doesn't work out for best. Say, what am I good at? And what would make me even better? What do I need to do? So there's a certain degree of work you have to do on yourself and self-honesty and self-realization. And these aren't kind of buzzwords that you hear in kind of some new age culture vibe. It's simply what you have to do if you want to grow. Because who doesn't want to grow as an individual? Because I think there's a time to be positively selfish. That doesn't mean being mean. What it means is that you spend time working out your own thing. And the outcome of that is generosity so that you can give more to, to whatever it is you engage with. Let me just say something. I've done lots of things. Until I started to do coaching, 
I never thought I'd found the thing. Everything I did was a, I'd kind of run out of steam in about three years and think, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. Or I think, mm, I'm not happy. Or I just think, you know what, I'm taking a year off and I'm going to go and do this just to keep going. But then you have families, you have children. These things seem much harder. But when I began this company, I was lucky in the company I'd worked for, let me take some of the clients. And I'd already worked with some of them. But I didn't know where it was going to go. Hence why I told my wife I'd go cabbing if it didn't work out. <laughs> so, so don't despair. Don't despair and don't lose hope. And, and don't feel like it's a big task. Have fun with it. And do some creative things that are fun, you know. Go and do things that you've always wanted to do and go and have experiences that you think will give you some insights because that's my favorite word in the world is insights because insight is a, it's not the truth, it's a summation of the things that you've experienced that give you this view on the world. So cultivate your insights. I think what you were saying before about reflecting on um, what is working and what's not working. And I think that people can so easily think, oh, I'm just, I'm crap at my job. I'm not good at this and have such a negative viewpoint on it. But actually what I found, for example, I always struggled with the practical aspects of my job. And I just started to realize personally that that's just not the way I thought. And that my greatest strength was more in the bigger picture thinking and communication side of things. Um, and once you start to understand yourself better and understand that every person has their strengths and their weaknesses, so the guy that might be really good at the practical things might not be that good at talking to people, you actually realize that you've got your own strengths and those are the sort of things that you should start cultivating, I guess. Yeah, you have to see your own value. There's plenty of people in the world that are very happy to put you down. Don't be one of those people. Don't speak against yourself. Speak up for yourself. And don't feel guilty if you don't succeed in one thing because it's a clue to, like you say, if you discover that it's not for you but you've had a go, then that's the best thing to do. There's lots of people will speak a good game about all the changes they're going to affect and the things they're going to do. What really matters is what you do because that's what impacts on people and that's what people see. That was executive coach Bernie Evans. Usually on the show, I'll share how you can find out more about our guest, but Bernie expresses his right to be unavailable. There was a lot of advice on this episode, so I've picked out three key pieces of advice from Bernie. One, do something completely different to your work and your hobbies to allow yourself to think differently. Two, cultivate a spirit where you're available and accessible to anything in the world that might be useful. What I think he means here is make sure you're open to any opportunity. Three, embrace change because the world is ever evolving and you need to be adaptable to any changes. We don't need to look any further than COVID to see how quickly the way we work can change. To demonstrate these three tips in action, I'll share with you a personal story. A couple of years ago, a partner and I bumped into an old colleague on the way to the movies. Instead of going to the movies, we accepted an offer to have a beer with him and his friends. They were a couple who later invited us around for dinner and in the process was introduced to one of their friends who is a recruitment agent. She found me a marketing job completely different to my role at the time as a clinical vet and the sort of change that I had been looking for. 
Be open to opportunities. Be open to doing something different. Be open to change. This week's challenge is to create a personal vision. Challenge accepted. This consists of four parts and can be written on a small piece of paper you keep by your desk. 1. Write down your purpose. Why do you do what you do beyond making money? Money does not bring you happiness. It's got to be something that means something to you. 2. Write down your core values. This is a set of beliefs that guides your behavior. 3. Write down your goals. What is your vision for the future? These have to be goals that will stretch you. It's got to be stuff that's going to improve and challenge you as a person. 4. Finally, write down your end vision. What is it that you could become that you have not yet thought of? Look for something you're really passionate about and convert it into something you can consider a job. Be creative here. It's the 21st century. People literally get paid to commentate on people playing video games. If they can make money doing that, you can make money doing pretty much anything. Challenge accepted. If you want coaching through your own career journey out of the 9 to 5, feel free to join our Facebook group, Escape the 9 to 5 Podcast. There you'll meet a group of successful professionals on their own journeys out of the 9 to 5. This week we'll be discussing how your challenges from previous episodes are going so far and how they're benefiting you. Feel free to share your career story on the page or if you're a bit more introverted, you're welcome to send me a private message. I'm your host Steve O'Ealy and thanks as always for listening to Escape the 9 to 5. Escape the 9 to 5 is a Deals Media production. If you felt like this episode brought you any value at all and helped you on your journey to escaping the 9 to 5, please do give us a rating if you're on Apple or Spotify podcasts. Otherwise, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you're listening on. This show is produced and created by me, Steve O'Ealy. Editing is thanks to Jeremy Grater. And show music is thanks to Mikey Geiger. For more information and support, please visit our Facebook page, Escape the 9 to 5 Podcast. Links to this are in the show notes. See you next time on Escape the 9 to 5.